In June of 1876, the U.S. Army's 7th Cavalry attacked a large Lakota Sioux settlement near a small river in the Montana Territory. They were outnumbered and outgunned, and it was going to take tactical brilliance to win the fight. What they got instead was pettiness and buffoonery. Today on HPH, we're taking you through the story of this incredible defeat and the string of shit-tier decisions that led to it. Grab a drink and a nice, warm slice of American shame and enjoy this episode of 100 Proof History titled The Battle of the Little Bighorn, A Real Custer Fuck. This is 100 Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. Step right up, come one, come all, to this story, this tale of General George Custer and the battle for Little Bighorn. I like that you're leaning into the old-timey voice, Greg. Let's just do the whole show. Man, you just gotta do something to keep it fresh, you know? <laughs> keep it fresh by doing the same old-timey voice we've been doing for 48 episodes. Woo! No, but, you know, we bring it in with that. Oh, I got you. you. Know, I'm with Rather you. than being like, oh, I'm I'm Greg, and this is Chris, and this is 100 Proof History. Uh, yeah. You know, a little something fresh. Yeah. Like uh, when the wife and I have sex, every once in a while I'll do my uh, really old man Indian voice. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. How's that sound? Oh, this feels very good. <laughs> it's very, very tight. I, I do approve. <laughs> I'm glad you were betrothed to me. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that does mix it up a little bit. Because that's Indian, not Native American. Uh, we're talking yeah. about Native Americans That's today. true. We are talking not about Native Indians. Americans. American Indians, some call them. Real talk, I've been with my wife for a while now. And uh, the other day, like, I don't know, I got really drunk. And she's like, I'm so pale. I'm like, you know, I'm kind of into that. I kind of like it. She's like, really? But I've been trying to tan. You know, I've been using tanning creams and... Going out in the sun and warm. I'm like, you know, I'm into that too. And she's like, how can you be into both? And I'm like, listen, it's been 18 years. Like when, <laughs> when an eyelash is kind of out of place, oh, that gets my motor going. Okay, that's just something different. Here we are. Eyelash out of place. You're like, hmm, yeah. This fills my uh, damaged goods <laughs> quite well. Yeah, it's it's crazy. The she's things. been living on the streets for a while. Imagination's <laughs> powerful, man. It is. It really is. I'm going to help her through her addictions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm giving her a dick. Just a dick. Yeah, just a dick. Okay, that's waiting just for the... <laughs> All right, well, I'd like to remind everyone, we are at 100proofhistory.com. That's 100proofhistory.com, or 100proofhistory spelled out. There you will find our Patreon, old episodes, all such stuff. And if you go to our Patreon, you can subscribe, get access to even older episodes. Uh, that mini-episode hangovers, we did like a special episode last week hope you enjoyed that and you and you wanted to hear more of that and if so just find our patreon subscribe to the three dollar level and you'll get some cool hangover episodes that we really enjoy doing ah, chris is always business i'm the fun host right guys mm-hmm. am i right <laughs> oh well christopher speaking of fun mm-hmm. what are you drinking today uh today I am... Oh, you let me go first. I was surprised. We talked about this off air. Yeah, because you stole my fucking idea. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I'm the editor. It doesn't matter who really goes first. I'll yeah. just fucking edit it in. But no, well, I chose something else. Oh, okay. Well, actually, I had to go one step further because we had the same thing at one, at, uh, at first. 
No, uh, what am I having today is Buffalo Trace bourbon, because the buffalo, very important to the Sioux people. But since we were both going to have Buffalo Trace, I went ahead and made it into a cocktail. And that cocktail is known as the Gold Rush. And it's bourbon, honey syrup, and lemon. It's basically like a cold toddy. You know, you're having the sore huh. throat in the middle of summer, so have one of those. Uh, and obviously, uh, none of this would have happened if there wasn't a gold rush in the Dakota territories. So, tied in pretty nicely. Uh, what are you having today, sir? I'm having Colonel E.H. Taylor, oh. small batch bourbon. Ooh. And I've got, a, I've got a twofer as to why. Okay. Colonel E.H. Taylor, for anybody that cares to look him up, was not at all an actual colonel. He was not in the military at all. Mm-hmm. I feel like he would have made better tactical decisions than a lot of actual colonels and other military members in this story. Right. And number two, it's a small batch bourbon. Mm-hmm. And as you'll come to find out, General Custer really liked to divide his men into smaller and smaller batches. He really did. Yeah. Kind of fucked him in the ass. I think we both did very well this week. How about we have our esteemed invalid producer... In his gimp suit, just mash on his speaking spell and hit those applause for us. Thank you, Wolf Dick. Mm -hmm. And again, no relation to Dick Wolf, producer of some really good TV, if you're 50 plus demographic. If you're bored in a hospital and you only get TNT, yeah, it's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a good way to look at it. Our source for today's episode is The Last Stand by Nathaniel Philbrick. What'd you think? Good book. Yeah. You know, it's a slow build, which it makes sense when you're talking about a battle where there's a lot of unknowns. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have a super long book about that. There's there's just so much that we don't know about what happened. So instead of having a little article, you have to make a whole book. So it, it does flesh out a lot of the characters that are involved. Yeah. In the last stand on both sides of the battle. And it, the payoff is good. Right. You know, I, I, that all is a means to an end. And it, it's a good end. The last, I think, what, three chapters of the book are the ones that actually talk about the battle. Right. Primarily like the last two, maybe one and a half. Right. But once you know all of the ins and outs of what led to it, it, it does make it better. Yeah. One of I, those. I, I'm kind of in the same boat. I felt like you're reading it. You're like, okay, when the fuck is he going to get to this battle? When's the fight coming? And then once it happens, you're like, oh, I, I'm kind of glad he spent 200 out of the 300 pages telling me the setup to the battle. Yeah. Because once he gets into it, you're like, oh, it makes sense that this guy acted like that and that guy acted like that. And, you know, it kind of sets it up, you know, nicely. Um, I just, I spent the whole book going, okay. I mean, that's interesting. That's an interesting fact about, you know, George Custer, but. Uh, what's he doing? You know, what's happening here? Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I'd recommend it overall. It's kind of like being raised. You know, it's you don't know why your parents are doing what they do, mm-hmm. but then it turns you into the person you are, and you're like, oh, okay, it makes sense now. Yeah. That's why my dad was always getting naked in front of me. <laughs> yep. Uh, that, that because I said so always makes sense once you get a little bit older. <laughs> <laughs> this hurts me more than it hurts you. Yeah. I bet it does. That's not true at all. That's not (laughs) true at all. All right. Nothing's big, Dad. (laughs) Your dad and your uncle now, okay? Runs of the family. (laughs) I wonder what Grandpa was doing. 
I don't know. He got death penalty before I was even born. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Well, do you want to talk about George Custer and his last stand? Let's fuck this pony. Let's do it. Well, if there is one historical figure that is associated with the Battle of the Little Bighorn, it is George Stretch Armstrong Custer. It's not really his name. Not the stretch part. But what a lame-ass toy. Like, there's got to be some dude in, like, 2010 pulled that thing out of the attic and handed it to his kid and was like, what's it do? Stretches. Like, you grab the arms, you stretch it out, and they snap back. Yeah, but what's it do? That's it. Does it have Fortnite in its butt? <laughs> right. <laughs> I left mine out in the snow when I was a kid, and, the, like, all the gel burst out of its armpits. Oh, nice. It was ruined. <laughs> I turned it into a fuck doll. Oh, yikes. All right. Good times. I was eight. Stretch Armstrong. <laughs> yeah, but you'd experienced so much already. <laughs> George was born on December 5th, 1839 in New York, and when he was 18, he entered West Point Military Academy. During his time at West Point, he earned over 700 demerits for his behavior, which is still one of the worst discipline records of all time. In 1861, he graduated dead last in his class. Graduated being the operative word, Chris. That's all that matters. Or mom. <laughs> It's like my doctor always tells me before he injects me with a concoction he just came up with. It's like, hey, what do you call the guy who finished last in his medical class? Like, what? Doctor. And he just shoots it into my butt. <laughs> you wake up in the morning. <laughs> yeah. My butt's even sore Back for some reason. Back half is yeah. all slimy for some reason. You don't know why. <laughs> He's like, just walk home. You know what this was. And try to walk normal, please. Yeah. Come on. Custer started off as a lieutenant in the Michigan Cavalry on the Union side of the Civil War. His unit fought in several battles, and he quickly gained a reputation for being rash and aggressive and ignoring commands. Most notably, his unit fought in Gettysburg, where his cavalry charges were incredibly successful against the Confederacy. Still, as a result of his zeal, his brigade lost 257 men, the most of any cavalry brigade at Gettysburg. He kind of just uh, flew by the seat of his pants, did whatever the fuck he wanted, and it worked out for him. He was, he was the Forrest Gump of the Civil War, basically. By the time the Civil War was over, Custer was a major general. That's an incredible amount of rank. Is it? In such a short yeah. period of time. Yeah. Dude, he's a fucking major general, and he's in like his early 20s at this point. Yeah. That's insane. He left the army in 1866 and began to pursue various careers and businesses, all of which he failed at. That same year, he rejoined the newly formed 7th Cavalry Regiment as a lieutenant general. The dude quits. Yeah. Comes back. And he earns another rank in the process. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> right. When I was in, I was having to suck my commander's penis for crackers. Right. <laughs> That's just that's how things have changed. I like in uh, the Revolutionary War, like you didn't have to have any experience, like human George Washington just kind of showed up before the uh, um, French and Indian War. They're like, you want to be a major? And he's like, all right, like, here you are. Okay, you're a major. Go lead troops. <laughs> okay. All right. What do I do? How does this work? Do I do I tell someone else and they tell somebody else what to do or somebody's going to like give me a guidebook or like, oh, you just figured it out, bro. You're good. All right, <laughs> go to war. Well, as a man, Custer had a few quirks. 
He was obsessed with being clean, and so he constantly changed his clothes, washed his hands, and brushed his teeth so often that he carried his toothbrush into battle. Which, reading... Clean boy. <laughs> well, reading this, I, I feel like that's relative to the, the time he lived in. Like, I feel like they judge us because we change our shirt every day. Like, oh man, I had, I had a hard workout. Let me go and take a shower. Like, what the fuck? This guy's neurotic as hell. Look at him. I feel like maybe that was... He's brushing his teeth like twice a day and like... What? He's obsessed with his fucking teeth right now, man. I don't, I just don't understand this dude. It'd be like going to Florida and wearing a mask during this pandemic <laughs> right now. Everybody looks at you like, why is this dude wearing a fucking mask? What's what, wrong with what him? What a pussy. <laughs> what is he scared of? George had a sensitive stomach and constantly pooped. Right there with you, buddy. He was addicted to gambling, okay. And cheated on his wife constantly. Well, no, I'm not there, but maybe, maybe someday. You know, talk to me in five years. <laughs> he also talked fast, and when he was excited, he would speak so ridiculously fast that people had no idea what the fuck he was even saying. When I read this part, I was thinking of Boomhauer from King of the Hill. Thinking, well, we gotta get those Indians, man. We're gonna go across another river, and what? I'm sorry, sir. What do you want me to do? Well, gonna, you know, gotta get all those dang Indians, man. <laughs> mustache and brush and mm, please, toothbrush, rape and pillage the village. <laughs> Well, the main role of the 7th Cavalry was to seek out and defeat Native American tribes. They started in Kansas and Colorado on the Trail of the Cheyenne. They sucked so much at this that many of Custer's men began to desert to hunt for gold in the Rockies. So, Custer had those men shot. Eventually, Custer got super horny and decided to go AWOL to see his wife. One day in 1868, he hopped on his horse and made the 60-hour ride back to visit his wife in Bone Town. He was court-martialed and given a one-year suspension. Which, as much as he cheated on his wife, like, yeah. Our book addresses this. His problem here, it's his problem, uh, was that he was not finding any Native American tribes he would actually find in the Cheyenne. Because later, he would be quoted as saying that uh, the Native American women are easily sexually assaulted. Except he used different words, different phrasing, and made it even worse. Yeah. Yeah. Too bad. He's not a he's not a great guy, guys. No. That's no, no. not not a great guy. Not at all in that regard. Well his one year suspension only lasted a few months before General Philip Sheridan decided it would be easier to find the Cheyenne in the winter and wanted Custer to lead his attack. As soon as Custer came back, he made himself super unpopular by deciding that each company of the 7th Cavalry should be organized by horse color and made the men switch horses with each other. Like, he didn't even switch the men. He didn't like, oh, you're on a gray horse, you're on a gray horse, you switch companies. It's like, no, let's switch all the horses up. Which, if you've never ridden a horse, which I barely have, but there's like this bonding, like, I've learned from Red Dead Redemption, you have to bond with your horse. <laughs> You know? And so you can't just, like, hop on a new horse and say, you're my horse buddy. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that won't have any consequences going forward. Not at all. No. Custer also insisted that a brass band follow him in the seventh round and order them to play a song every time they launched into battle. You know what that song was, Greg? Yeah, it was Gary Owen. No, that's not what it was, Greg. Oh. Do, you, do you know what, was it? what it was? 
It was My Humps by the Black Eyed Peas. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's an awful song. (laughs) Oh, listener, I put a joke in there about God Bless the USA, the Lee Greenwood hit, our favorite song on the podcast, but just wanted to fuck with Greg. What's this our shit? (laughs) No, whatever. You act like you don't have the lyrics tattooed on your ass. Uh, that was in Sharpie, and it was only for Halloween. Oh. Appreciate it if you'd quit bringing it up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was 25 years ago. <laughs> I was 11. <laughs> Who wrote it? It was a remarkable handmans- or penmanship. <laughs> <laughs> this is my dad. Okay. <laughs> it was that one Halloween I went as a thong. <laughs> you went as a thong. <laughs> well, that's all I had on. Oh, okay. the rest of me was supposed to be invisible. Gotcha. That's what my dad told me. He's like, nobody can see you. <laughs> it's an invisible thong. You know? <laughs> thong of invisibility. Gotcha. You know? Gotcha. I'm glad that your traumatic childhood has led you to this history podcast, and we can just you know put all this out here for. What do you mean traumatic? Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. I'm sorry. It was very informative. I'm a normal, well-adjusted human person, man. Yes, that is true. That is true. I am a human. <laughs> no, Greg is right. They would play the song Gary Owen, which I listened to on YouTube, and is somehow worse than God Bless the USA. Oh. It's kind of like, it reminds me a lot of Tim McVeigh playing Bad Company over and over again. It just annoys you to the point you actually want to fucking kill something. They played it nonstop in this story. Yeah, I know. Every time they in this botched- book, it was like, all right, and uh, then they had the band play Gary Owen. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, uh, you guys, you guys know something else? Some cutting crew? I just died in your arms. <laughs> no, but we know that Gary Owen number. <laughs> I wish they never would've... mind. Oh, and a one, and a two. And... <laughs> I wish they would have played. I just died in your arms. <laughs> oh. Uh... I just died. Then you can't you can't attack though because you're just swaying. Like yeah, must yeah, have been th- something. Say you would win over their hearts and then their minds. Oh, uh, the, yeah, right. Like we did in Iraq. Yep, that's exactly what happened. Drop some pop tarts and some cutting crew CDs. Mission accomplished. Hang, Hang the, the banner. <laughs> On November twenty seventh, eighteen sixty eight, the seventh came across a Cheyenne settlement near the Washita River in Oklahoma. They approached it covertly, and Custer even strangled his own dog to keep it from barking. He's just a real hero. Things normal people do. Yep. The seventh split into four different groups, hey, small batches, and attacked the village from all sides. Hey, my mom. <laughs> On a Friday night. <laughs> they don't call her Spit Roast Betty for nothing. <laughs> Name's not even Betty. They don't know her name. They don't care. It's just a bunch of randos. <laughs> yeah. Van parked behind the uh, adult movie theater. Yeah, that's the most exciting bus stop in the city, I'll tell you that. Well, it was a complete massacre with the Cheyenne chief, known as Black Kettle, being shot in the back as he tried to flee. As the battle continued, the Cheyenne warriors fled. Major Joel Elliott gave chase with his men, but Custer didn't send anyone to support Elliott. It turned out there was a massive Cheyenne village down the river, and Elliot had run into an ambush. He was killed. Major Frederick Benteen would write a letter to the New York Times to detail how Custer had failed Elliot. The two men then became rivals. Well, instead of following and helping Elliot, 
Custer and his men stayed inside the village and methodically killed the 600-plus Cheyenne horses. Just think about this logistically, the time it takes to kill 600 horses as, you know, they're moving around or whatever. This is rocket horse to the extreme. Pour one out for rocket horse. From our Lincoln series, for anybody oh, yeah. not in the know. For you guys who haven't listened to all 48 episodes, kid on my level. <laughs> Why don't you get all these obscure references, you morons? Anyway, <laughs> as the day progressed, Cheyenne warriors flooded the hills around Custer's men. That night, Custer faked an advance on the village, forcing the warriors to fall back in defensive positions. They're like, oh, that, that Gary Owen's getting louder. He's coming. He's coming. Let's get ready. And then, no, he turns around, and then he retreats and claims he's won a massive victory. Did it again. Yep. I got over 600 confirmed casualties, sir. Like, oh, yeah, you killed that many Native Americans? And they didn't say Native Americans, but, oh, yeah, you killed that many Native Americans? Like, well, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Native Americans. Yeah. Horses. Yeah. Horses. <laughs> and all it cost was Joe Elliott and all his men. No I killed deal. one crazy horse, I'll have you know that. You killed Crazy Horse? <laughs> the the famed... Well, look- no. <laughs> well, there was a, a malbehaved horse. Yeah. We decided to put him out of his misery. We had to break out the Gatling guns for that one. He's <laughs> <laughs> just running across the field. We're heroes. We're throw that stuff in cans. Dog food it is. <laughs> yeah. Just all mushed and pureed. Mm. Isn't it nice being here in 1874? <laughs> With this accent? Why don't we say that enough? Well, is it a nice hair in the year 2020? And that way, when it's recorded later... Because it's not. Oh, it's not. It's the worst fucking year of my life. It fucking sucks. (laughs) Yeah. I literally was in an iron lung from ages 9 to 12, and this is the worst fucking year of my life. Thank you. (laughs) I went from getting touched too much as a kid, now nobody will touch me at all. Right? 2020 sucks. (laughs) Well, over the following years, Custer and the 7th Cavalry would protect surveyors in the Black Hills of North Dakota. In 1874, prospectors flooded the mountains after gold was discovered. To protect the gold rush, President Ulysses S. Grant attempted to buy the Black Hills from Lakota Sioux in 1875. They refused, at which point Grant declared war on the Sioux and gave them until the spring of 1876 to report to the nearby reservations. The 7th Cavalry was placed in charge of making sure that this happened. While Custer was waiting to go to war, he was summoned to Washington, D.C. to testify in hearings regarding corruption. He testified against the president and his older brother, Orville Redenbacher Grant. (laughs) I wanted to make that joke. Damn you to hell. (laughs) Damn you. I mean, where else can you go with Orville, (laughs) you know? Yeah, that's it. That and the Wright brothers, but popcorn's way better. Oh, yeah. Like... Case in point, if you want me to get on a plane, give me free popcorn. Hmm. Who wins? The popcorn or the plane? Thank you. Over Redenbacher and his stupid bow ties. Boom. I don't know what just happened. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> well, as a result, the president was super pissed and demanded an explanation. When Custer left the city instead, Grant had him arrested, but released him due to public pressure. Because you can't just arrest somebody for leaving fucking Washington, D.C. 
Well, Grant's generals wanted Custer placed in charge of the expedition against the Sioux. Grant didn't even want Custer there, but knew if the war failed and Custer was at home, balls deep in his wife, Grant would be torn apart by the press. So, Grant put General Terry in charge of the expedition and made Custer report to Terry. Yeah, balls deep in his wife or someone else. Yeah. yeah. Again, this dude was a serial cheater. Yeah. And it's so funny because our main source tries to make it like Libby, which is her name. Uh, it's actually not Libby. It's I think it's Elizabeth. Um, and George makes him sound like so romantic and she loved him so much. Just wanted to be with him all the time. And it was basically the same thing as when somebody shares a Facebook account with their wife. It's like, oh, somebody cheated in that fucking relationship. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Libby George Custer. Yeah. She's like, I'm, I'm going to follow you everywhere. He's like, well, we're going to some dangerous battles everywhere. You're not. No. Oh, where are you going? Manhattan? Yeah. That's not a battle. That's just more MILF jazz bars for you. Okay. All right. Yeah, I know. I know its real name is Womanhattan. So <laughs> I'm going with you. Custer was still in charge of the 7th and divided his brigade into two battalions. One was led by Major Marcus Reno. The other was led by number one Custer hater, Frederick Benteen. It turned out that Benteen had a cousin who was a New York reporter, and Custer wanted to kiss Benteen's ass a little. For the most part, the Lakota Sioux didn't surrender themselves to the reservations. And so, in May of 1876, the Seventh Cavalry and the rest of the Dakota expedition left Fort Lincoln in North Dakota and headed for the Montana Territory to seek out the Sioux. Oh, and if you thought for a second that Custer was upset that he had to report to General Terry, you'd be sorely mistaken. Custer had already decided he was only going to follow Terry's orders when he felt like it. No one is going to stop George Custer from seeking out his glory. The man that Custer was riding out to meet in battle was Sitting Bull, the leader of the Hunk Papa Lakota Sioux. And that reminds me of what my dad made me call him when I was a kid. <laughs> Lakota Sioux? Hung Papa. Oh, no. yeah, that, that makes Papa. more sense. That makes more sense. Yeah, I got you. Well, when I turned 18, he said I could start calling him daddy instead, so. Oh. It was only when I was a kid. I got you. I was just confused because there was a time I stopped in a truck stop in Bismarck, and the guy wanted me to go by Lakota Sioux, and I had to wear, like, pigtails and stuff. It was weird. <laughs> it was, that is weird. Yeah. No, this is Hung Papa. Gotcha, Hung Papa. Yeah. Okay, uh, mm -hmm. Okay. I'm with you. We're on the same page. Simpatico. I mean, to be fair, he, he kind of had, had it going on. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it was at least, like, dude, probably at least five inches, if I had to guess. <laughs> Erect? <laughs> I'm sorry, what's funny? This is my childhood group. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. You know, there are people you can talk to about this kind of stuff. I'm talking to my entire audience. <laughs> what's wrong say, with our, you? Our listeners, yes. They can let us know in the comments how fucked up Greg's <laughs> childhood was. Well, Sitting Bull was born around 1831 in the part of the Dakota Territory that is now South Dakota and was originally given the name Jumping Badger. As a youth, he was nicknamed Hunkesi, which meant slow, because he typically proceeded in a cautious manner. When Jumping Badger was 14, he counted coup against a member of the rival Crow tribe while stealing their horses. Counting coup was a way for young warriors to show how brave they were. In most cases, it involved physically touching an enemy during battle and then retreating without being harmed. When he returned home, his father was so pleased that he renamed his son 
buffalo bull who sits down. But, you know, everybody in the village told him, well, that name's fucking ridiculously and unnecessarily long. So instead, he became Sitting Bull. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like when we were working with marketing agencies trying to develop a name for this show. And they're like, what's, what's your thought? I'm like, well, let's call it uh, history that is half history and also half uh, drinking and having fun. Maybe like 50%, 50%, and then you call it Hunter Proof. And they're like, is that the whole name? I'm like, yeah. It's like, can you fit that on a bumper sticker? Like, Why don't we just call it Hunter Proof History? I'm like, I don't know. Don't know if it explains it. I think you need that whole thing out there. Yeah. The idea I pitched was Chris and Greg's talk about history, but in a comedic way while having a good time drunk podcast. Yeah. And I got I got a similar response, so. Yeah. I kind of think I was right. I do, too. Saying. Based on our listener numbers, you should have gone with that. Let's just change it. <laughs> <laughs> when he was 25, Sitting Bull was once again stealing horses from the crow and became involved in an armed standoff. Sitting Bull called out the Crow Chief and challenged him to a one-on-one -on -one battle. The two men then charged at each other. As he ran towards the Chief with a buffalo hide shield in one hand and a rifle in the other, Sitting Bull sang, quote, Comrades, whoever runs away, he is a woman, they say. Therefore, through many trials, my life is short, end quote. S sexist? What an asshole. Well, I don't know if it's that sexist because, you know, the women weren't warriors. They did have defined roles. That's sexist, but mm -hmm. I don't think what he said was sexist. That that was just the reality of the situation. Okay, fair enough. I'm about to get fucking canceled, aren't I? <laughs> he just got canceled. Fuck. Unless you lean harder into it. Just go further right. Just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Buy some Koya beans. Everybody will love you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. The crow chief stopped to fire first and struck Sitting Bull's shield. The bullet deflected downward, entering Sitting Bull's left big toe and exited his heel. Sitting Bull returned fire and hit the chief in the chest. Just for good measure, he hobbled over to the fallen chief and stabbed him in the heart. Sitting Bull would walk with a limp for the rest of his life, but he had become a Lakota legend. And honestly, I don't even think it was a limp. I think it was a crip walk. Oh, yeah? he's faking that shit. I'm like, that's his <laughs> gangsta lean. You know what I'm saying? He's always walking with his pants hanging down just below his ass cheeks. Said, yeah, I'm hard, motherfucker. Yeah. In the late 1860s, when Custer was dicking around in Oklahoma killing puppies and ponies, Sitting Bull was running raids against U.S. forts in the Montana Territory and launching guerrilla attacks against immigrant caravans. When other tribes signed peace treaties and moved to reservations, Sitting Bull refused and continued his attacks. Around the same time, he was chosen as the supreme chief of the entire Sioux Nation. But he was having problems of his own. He believed that the Lakota should remain completely autonomous and not rely on the U.S. government for any sort of help. A large contingent of the Lakota disagreed. In fact, by 1875, over half the Lakota lived on a reservation. He was also having personal life problems, as our main source points out. He was he had two wives, and when they slept together in the in their teepee, mm -hmm. like he had to lay straight on his back because the other one would get pissy if he rolled over to one if side, he turned towards yeah. one or the other. Yeah. I can't believe that dumbass married God. twice. What a fucking moron! Yeah, I just have three teepees. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about this when we were talking about our uh, our Waco series, our Waco episode. Sorry. Uh, where David Koresh married a 14-year-old and just how fucking terrible that would be. 
It's like, okay, not only is it amoral and, you know, just completely fucking wrong, but then you got to put up with her. And she's 14. And she's like, hey, you want to watch this TikTok video? And you're like, oh, my fucking God, what did I do with my life? I don't know if I can comment <laughs> on the 14-year-old wife. It must suck for for the... <laughs> For the man. <laughs> for, for the fucking devil in the story. God. <laughs> the main weakness of the Lakota was their dependence on the buffalo to survive. They used it to make their food, their shelter, their clothing, and even used dried buffalo shit to start their fires. And this was something I was surprised to read. It's like, the average Lakota consumed six buffalo a year. That's crazy. It's as, fucking insane. As big Six. as a buffalo is. Yeah, just fucking yes, insane. and they're using, like, every part. Yeah. That's the Fuck, great thing. Man. They used every part. They're not like me. I'm like, oh, uh, I don't know. I cut. I ate, like, half that steak. The rest can probably just go in the trash and just scrape this ribeye into the fucking garbage. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think they did with the pee-pee? They made it into water guns, and they brought it to pool parties. That makes complete sense. Thank you. As the white Americans pushed their civilization westward, the buffalo population dwindled. In the late 1860s and early 1870s, there were still a decent amount of buffalo herds in the Dakota and Montana territories, but some of the Lakota could see the writing on the wall and headed for the safety of the reservations. This became a problem in 1875. As you recall, President Ulysses S. Grant was attempting to buy the Black Hills, Thousands of Lakota flooded the reservations to discuss the sale and supplies dwindled. By winter, the conditions at the reservation were terrible and food was in short supply. Typically when that happened, the Lakota would supplement food supplies by hunting, but by then the U.S. government was sure that war with the Lakota was imminent and stopped selling them any ammunition at all. As a result, over the next six months, thousands upon thousands of Lakota and Cheyenne left the reservations, and sought out Sitting Bull. Wait, wait. So we invite them to come stay on our land, or their land, quote-unquote, that we've given back to them, and then we provide for them just in a terrible fucking manner, and they leave? That's pretty ungrateful. <laughs> like, they need to... Come yeah. on, come on. Nobody just... should be surprised by this. All right. Well, by the time the 7th Cavalry entered the Montana Territory in June of 1876... Sitting Bull's village, which sat along the Rosebud River, had a population of over 8,000, and the expanse of teepees stretched out over two miles. That same month, Sitting Bull performed a sacred Lakota ritual known as a sun dance. He stripped naked and had his brother cut 50 pieces of flesh off of each one of his arms. As blood poured from him, he danced for a day and a night. When he finally collapsed, Sitting Bull had a vision of soldiers falling upside down while a voice whispered, quote, These soldiers do not possess ears, end quote, which was a Lakota saying that meant they would not listen. And this may come up again later. Maybe. I feel like a total pussy for crying every time I get my blood drawn at the doctor's office hearing this story. And they took 50 pieces of flesh from each arm. And he's just bleeding <laughs> while he dances. What a soft time we live in, right? I know. I know. Where having to wear a mask is cause for a hissy fit of epic proportions. Do, I can. It's hot in there. It's hot. It, it, the reduced it, oxygen. Yeah. 
It's the I, fucking dumbest thing I've ever heard. You know, it it takes a lot of oxygen for me to sit on that fucking hover round and roll around Walmart. Like, I need all the air I can get, and you want me to wear a mask and hinder that? Come on! How am I going to barely stand up and reach the Diet Cokes on the top shelf? This is just fucking tyranny. <laughs> Somehow, simultaneously, COVID-19 can get through a face mask mm-hmm. because it's ineffective. But oxygen, which is a tiny molecule, is somehow not able to pass through. And it's causing people to breathe in too much of their own carbon dioxide. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Okay. Oh, no one said they were smart, Greg. No, you're right about that. They just think <laughs> they are. Anyway. Anywho. This was actually the second vision that Sitting Bull had experienced. The first one, which had come earlier in the spring, was a vision of a dust cloud of soldiers moving westward toward a cloud that looked like a Lakota village. In an instant, the Lakota cloud unleashed a rainstorm and washed away the dust cloud. When he combined these two visions, he realized three things. The attack would come from the east, the Lakota had to let the fight come to their village, and they would be victorious. Of course, none of this would be detailed until well after the battle of Little Bighorn, so maybe he was operating with the tiniest bit of hindsight. Or he had magic powers. Let us know in the comments. (laughs) I'm voting magic powers. (laughs) Honestly, how hard would it be to predict that the attack would come from the east anyway? You know what I mean? You're in the the Montana Territory, and you know all the white people are in the Dakota Territory, which is to your east. And you're like, oh, shit. (laughs) Fucking Nostradamus over here. Yeah. Well, for any of that to happen, the U.S. Army's Dakota expedition was going to have to actually find the Lakota, and in the summer of 1876, they were sucking butts at doing that. As they moved west along the Yellowstone River, they would find remnants of Sitting Bull's nomadic village. On June 15th, Custer stumbled across one of these abandoned villages and found the bashed-in skull of a U.S. soldier and the burned remains of a cavalry uniform. In response... He and his men desecrated a nearby Lakota burial ground and threw the bodies into a river. Yeah, there's even stories that they use the bodies as bait for fish. Oh, yeah, the one guy was fishing afterwards and nobody saw him get any bait out, and so they just assumed it was... Yeah, the dead body. Just body. uh, I'm glad I didn't see Clay Greenwood's God Bless the USA at this point, because not so proud right now. Not feeling too great about this whole thing. Around the same time... Major Marcus Reno, whose battalion had split from Custer in order to scout the area, came close to finding the Lakota. General Terry had ordered Reno to scout the Tongue River and then return to the group if he didn't find anything. Reno said, fuck that, and continued on to the Rosebud River. On June 17th, his Native American scouts let him know he was about a two-day ride from a massive Lakota village. The same scouts also told Reno that he'd probably get his ass kicked if he attacked. So rather than pursue the Lakota, Reno and his men turned back to regroup with Custer. General Terry was royally pissed off that Reno had defied his order to only scout the Tongue River. George Custer was just pissed that Reno hadn't attacked. In Custer's eyes, Reno was a coward and Terry's orders were dumb and stupid. Got him. Custer knew that if he was given the same chance, he would have attacked. And little did he know, he was about to get that opportunity. Right up the butt. (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't know. It felt like a strong note to end on. It doesn't really make sense. <laughs> <No>. but... <laughs> You're going to get that opportunity right up your <laughs> butt. Right in your bottom. <laughs> he spent himself multiple times. <laughs> Is this H.H. Holmes again? <laughs> How's about a break, Chris? Yeah, we should take a break. We should have... Pour more booze into my cup. That's right. We should do that. See you after the break. Bye! All right, we are back from break. Where I, uh... Had a, I just like rapidly shoved some tacos in my mouth while Greg had to suffer through talking to my child for like 10 minutes. We had good conversations. Yeah. Way better than this podcast. You're thinking about starting a new one? Well, it's just honestly good to talk to somebody on my same intellectual level, <laughs> has my same interests, <laughs> like making slime uh-huh. out of hair conditioner. Yeah. And baking soda. Yeah. She will definitely tell you everything that is happening in her life. She's, there's no holding back with her. So thank you for putting up with that while I was getting drunk and eating tacos. You're, oh, I was still getting drunk. Uh, <laughs> she's like, hey, kid, do you ever watch somebody just drink a whole bottle of bottle and bond at one time? She's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like every day. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the cool babysitter with a leather jacket. <laughs> Hey, what's up, kid? Yeah. <laughs> you getting excited for third grade? Yeah. yeah. I remember those days. Those were the good old days. I stabbed my teacher. <laughs> she had it coming. She's like, you're eight. You shouldn't be drinking so much. You're like, Bruh. everything they tell you is bullshit. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> When we last left you, General George Armstrong Custer and the 7th Cavalry was moving westward across the Montana Territory to try and seek out Lakota Sioux, who had refused to go to the reservations in the Dakota Territory, and were now at war with America. On June 21st, 1876, General Alfred Terry called the leaders of the 7th Cavalry into his tent to formulate a plan. Major Marcus Reno was not invited. The map of the region they had was incomplete with dashed lines where they thought the rivers ran. The plan was for Terry and his brigade to march along the Bighorn River along the north while Custer moved along Rosebud to the south. You ever all heard a butthole called a Rosebud? Mm, I have not. Okay, me either. Moving on. <laughs> Since the belief was that Sitting Bull had moved his village to the area around the Little Bighorn River, Terry wanted his brigade to hook up with Custer's in that area on June 26th. This meant Custer would have to stop his march westward and wait once he had moved up the Rosebud. Custer was told to attack the Lakota only if necessary. What's necessary to you, motherfucker? It's not the same thing that's necessary to me. Just saying. Yeah, it kind of leaves it open to interpretation there. Custer set out on June 22nd wearing his patented white buckskin suit. This motherfucker. Couldn't even wear a uniform. He has to be all special. Fancy. And 
Like, uh, that was one of Benteen's gripes. He's like, I have to wear a regular cavalry uniform with the blue and the buttons, kind of like Civil War. But these motherfuckers are wearing buckskin, which are super fucking hot. Like, they don't breathe like cotton. He's just like, out there, but you're not, you're not a part of the cool crowd unless you're wearing your buckskin suit while you're riding out to fight the Native Americans. Yeah, Benteen's always right. Yeah. I think we're going to find that just everyone sucks here. That's just the point. I agree. Point of the story, yeah. After riding for 15 miles, Custer explained to his men that he had left behind the rapid-firing Gatling guns because he felt like it would slow him down. It turned out that it wouldn't have mattered because the train of pack mules that followed his advance was poorly organized and moved incredibly slowly. This was temporarily fixed by Major Frederick Benteen, who had forced the pack train to regroup as he rode behind them. Custer had placed him in the rear of the advance to make sure that Benteen didn't get to go to the fight first. But when Benteen fixed the situation, Custer promised to reward him by moving him up in the column. Benteen was actually disappointed that Custer didn't fight with him more. Benteen is such an asshole. He really is. He's constantly insubordinate. Mm Mm-hmm. He has zero respect for any of his commanding officers, any of them. Yeah. He's the guy that always thinks he can do it better, you know? Also, I don't know, I'm sure you do remember from this story because it is an interesting anecdote, but <laughs> he was sending fucking dick pics before I thought it was possible. <laughs> he was. You remember that? Yeah. He'd write love letters home to his wife, but he'd also include sketches of his boner. Yes. Seriously. Yes. Like, he'd trace the damn thing. The book noted that they'd be anatomically correct mm-hmm. sketches. So, to me, that means he was tracing his boner. <laughs> he just flops it on a piece of paper, draws around it. Is that what you got out of it? I don't know, man. I feel like he would exaggerate just a little. He'd, like, do the whole cartographer thing and put like a scale well, at the so, bottom like as far as that's what the author said is that it was oh yeah it was basically like the author was trying to maintain journalistic integrity this poor guy and, and yeah. not turn it into smut <laughs> yeah. while also wanting to relay that this dude was sending anatomically correct sketches yes. of his erect penis <laughs> how else do you do that other than tracing your boner yeah on paper yeah. <laughs> That's fucking weird. Uh, it's weird. Right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think dick pics are fucking weird, but, like, especially, you know, oh, I get a message, daddy, open it, fucking, it's mm-hmm. my dad's dick. Yeah. Right. God damn it. Dad's erect penis again. You That's know, weird. I got but so- I could only imagine if my dad was, like, getting tracing paper <laughs> and then, like, shading it in and everything. Like, it's just, I don't know. That's weird. I, you know what? This has inspired me. So next time I'm at work and I got a little bit of downtime, I'll bust out the fucking paper and do like the Thanksgiving turkey with the five fingers, but it's my dick. And I'm going to trace it. Uh-huh. And I'm going to drop it in the post office for my wife. She's like, yeah. Yeah. She's like, I've seen three quarters of an inch before. I don't. This is. Oh, a- you can just use post it notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could make like a little cartoon story out of your Like a flip book. Dick. Yeah. No, but another thing about Benteen that our main source kind of goes out of his way to point out is he never wanted to be in charge. They offered him Custer's job, and he said, nah, 
no thanks, I don't want to be in charge. He wanted to be the second in command that just bitched about fucking everything. Yeah, dude, I, nothing was ever right if it didn't come from his mouth. Right, but he didn't want to be in charge because then he's responsible for the decision. Well, yeah, because who's he going to bitch at then? Right, he's basically... He'd have to take a look in the mirror. He's basically the guy on Facebook who bitches about everything about the government and who doesn't go vote. Ah, I forgot, you know? Whatever. Like, you spent, like, the last year and a half telling us what is wrong with the world, and you didn't, like, take the, you know, hour out of your day to go about? Just saying. Sure. Yeah. And you can early vote pretty much everywhere, so... Yeah. That even negates that point. Right? By June 24th, Custer and his scouts noticed more and more trails joining the main Lakota trail they were following. The Native American scouts there believed that the trails were converging and that Custer was marching towards a large, massive, huge fucking settlement. Custer, on the other hand, was worried that it was the exact opposite, and his enemy had already begun to retreat and they had scattered. Still, he felt like the trail was getting hotter and hotter, so he marched his brigade throughout the night. On the morning of the 25th, Custer's scouts spotted the Lakota horses and realized that the massive village was real, and it was just ahead of them. Custer decided that the 7th rest that day, march at night again, and attack the village at first light on the 26th. But, unfortunately for him, Lakota scouts had spotted his regiment. It was decision time. Should Custer's 650-man regiment attack a force that outnumbered his 3-1? to one? Or should he hold off and wait for General Terry to arrive? Well, for Custer, it wasn't a tough decision at all. It was time to attack. Custer divided his regiment into three different battalions. One would be led by Custer. His battalion would move along the hills on the right bank of the Little Bighorn. The second battalion, which would be led by Marcus Reno, would move along the left bank, directly toward the village. The plan was for Reno to attack from the front, drawing the warriors to the edge of the village. Then old badass glory hound war hero Custer would swing into the village from the north and take all the women and children hostage, which he figured would force the warriors into a surrender. What a great fucking hero. I salute you. You guys do all the fighting. I'm going to go take all the women. Because as I've said before, they are easily sexually assaulted. I'm George Custer. Thank you for joining my TED Talk. Yeah, and uh, in case we haven't laid it on thick enough, the dude was taking captured Indian women mm -hmm. into his tent. Yeah. And I doubt they were consenting, <laughs> you know? All the while, Libby's like, hey, you've been updating our Facebook, to, you know, our shared Facebook lately. What's going on in your world? I've been posting pictures <laughs> of our kids. Uh, you know, just the huge, babe. Just the huge. Out there on plenty of fish, just sending dick pics galore. Uh huh. Or dick dick traces. <laughs> that he learned right, from his yeah. buddy Benteen. <laughs> it's just, like Dick Tracy, a detective, but Dick Trace is something much more nefarious. He just flops his dick down on some carbon paper and see what comes out on the fucking other side. <laughs> the yellow copy is for me, but the rest he of He rolls you. it and presses it <laughs> just to make it seem whiter than it is. <laughs> Well, the 3rd Battalion was to be led by our buddy, old, old-timey dick pic, 
Frederick Benteen. At the officers' meeting to discuss the attack, Custer originally put Benteen in charge of the advance. But about 30 minutes later, he said, <laughs> LOL, just kidding, dummy, and told Benteen to move to some bluffs to the south that overlooked the village so he could quote-unquote report on the movements and, you know, just maybe attack some Lakota that attempted to escape. Back of the line, boss man. Yeah. <laughs> the attack was launched at about 3 p.m. Despite the fact that the Lakota had spotted the 7th moving toward them, they did not move out to meet Reno and his men as they moved toward the village. As Custer watched from bluff above Reno, he shouted, Hurrah, boys! We've got them! Except faster and more unintelligible. Than that? Yes. Hurrah, boys! Oh. We got them! That's what he said. Okay. And he waved his hat really fucking fast. Like a fucking squirrel on meth. That's how he talked. <laughs> Well, there are a few things to consider before going forward. First, the weapons. The U.S. Cavalry carried Springfield rifles. They were fairly accurate and had an effective range of 250 yards, but they could only be fired once before being reloaded. The Lakota, on the other hand, had Henry and Winchester repeating rifles and could fire 17 rounds fairly quickly without reloading. And then you have to consider the condition of the men. The Lakota had been chilling at home while the 7th marched for a month and had to deal with dwindling food rations and a lack of clean water. Queen water? Queen water, I know. <laughs> clean water. <laughs> you just put it on you and you get fabulous. <laughs> Getting fabulous. <laughs> Watching Wendy Williams in the middle of the day. <laughs> They put that water on them. They're like, I want to ride my bicycle for some strange reason. Bicycle, bicycle. <laughs> well, it was clean water, you dummies. All of Custer's men were tired and dehydrated. And no one was more dehydrated than Major Marcus Reno. Because, uh, he was... Hmm, why is that? Well, Greg, he was drunk as a skunk on spring break in Cabo. That's drunk. That's really drunk. And smelly. Maybe do some cocaine. You know, whatever. It's spring break. It's spring break. Nothing wrong with a little cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> well, as they marched toward the fight, Reno pounded the whiskey and had asked one of his men if they wanted his gun because it kept getting in his way. <laughs> I keep almost fucking killing myself. Take this. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you mean, sir? I just... I keep coming up with the bottle, and it, it, it just fucking take it. He's like, I, sir, we're, we're in a battle. Just take it. Let's get in the way. I'm going to battle against my vices, and it's making me lose. <laughs> like His second in command looks over, and he's like taking a swig, but it's just the barrel of his fucking rifle in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't taste like whiskey at all. Take this fucking thing. Get it out of here! Yeah. Get! This ain't sour mash. What the fuck? <laughs> I thought it was a whiskey bomb. <laughs> when Reno's men were approaching the edge of the village on horseback, he had the advantage of surprise and speed. But, inexplicably, he decided to have his battalion dismount and approach on foot. Imagine watching the guy that's 
in charge, mm-hmm. you know, during a life or death situation, sit there and get uncontrollably drunk. Yeah. That had to have just fucking tanked the morale. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, bad decisions are abound during this battle, mm-hmm. the lead up to it, during it, but Jesus Christ, man. Yeah. Just imagine seeing the guy that's in charge, and you're just a, you know, fucking peon soldier. You're new to this, and the dude that's in charge of everything on your part of the battle yeah, is just sitting there getting fucking shit-faced to where he can't hold a gun. It's like, dude, ugh. May I offer a counterpoint? No. Okay. And okay. moving on. <laughs> okay. No, yes, yes, please, please. So these guys were so super fucking confident. Like, they're going into this, and our main source addresses this. They're like, oh, I think there's like 20,000 Native American soldiers. That's what scouts are telling Custer. And they're like, this might take a few days of fighting. He's like, ah, we'll knock this out in a day. No big fucking deal. I feel like... Maybe his soldiers watch Reno get just, like, hammered drunk. Like, oh, this guy knows we're going to win so bad, he's already celebrating. Like, okay, cool. We got this. This guy's drunk, but whatever. Let's have a good time, you know? Because a lot of them got drunk, too. Oh, they absolutely did, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. When Reno's men were about a quarter mile from the village, they halted and began to fire wildly. And as we said before, the Springfield rifles were effective about 250 yards, had a maximum distance of about 1,000 yards. So from a quarter mile, the rifles weren't of much use at that distance, and each man had only carried about 50 rounds of ammunition. But again, that didn't stop them just blasting away wildly at the fucking village. It also, like you just said, Greg, didn't help that most of them were passing around bottles of whiskey themselves. The Lakota Warriors, led by legendary fighter Crazy Horse, just sat back and waited. They knew that once the barrels of the Springfield rifles heated up, the guns would become much more inaccurate and prone to jamming. After allowing that to happen, the Lakota attacked. After the first wave was repelled by Reno's men, the second wave surrounded the U.S. soldiers and forced them to flee to the nearby woods. As the men ran away, they were shot in the back and left to die by their comrades. One man watched as Reno downed an entire bottle of whiskey just before one of his Native American scouts, a man named Bloody Knife, had his brains blown out all over Reno's face. Panic set in, and Reno quickly ordered everyone to, quote, dismount their horses, and then remount their horses, and then heroically shouted, Every man for himself! And then fled. I have no regrets. <laughs> Into the distance. Reno's battalion moved further east and then crossed the Little Bighorn River to find safety in the bluffs overlooking that river. Along the way, more of Reno's men were killed. Many were shot like the proverbial sitting ducks as they tried to cross the river. When they reached the top of the bluffs, Reno was only calmed by a young lieutenant from Texas, Gregory. Salute. Boop, whoop, boop, whoop. His name was Luther Hare, and he said, quote, Hey, y'all, if we gotta die, let's die here like men. End quote. The battalion formed defensive positions. It was 4.10 p.m., and in just an hour, Reno's charge had failed, and he lost 50 of his 180 men. 
When one of his men suggested that Reno go back to rescue the wounded, Reno told them to do it them damn selves. What a fucking guy. What a hero. A leader of men, ladies and gentlemen. It's strange they named a city after him and they put casinos there. It's a different Reno. I'm sorry. I don't I, I don't want our listeners to be confused. It's a completely different Reno. It's not this jackass. This guy's a he's got a hill named after him. He does. A bluff. Yep. Custer had watched Reno's failure from the bluffs above the battlefield. Why he didn't launch an attack to help Reno, or come down to help Reno's men retreat to safety, is a question lost to history. I know. It's because Custer was a dickhead. I'm kind of leaning there, too. He wanted to be the hero. Mm-hmm. If he went in to save Reno, then he couldn't lead the charge into the village. Right. He couldn't take the women and children as hostages that ended up being... You know, a decisive thing in the battle. At least in his head. God damn. What? We try and look at things through a historical lens, right? You try and go, okay, here's what they were thinking at the time. It's not, you can't look it through the modern lens because through the modern lens, this is all incredibly fucked up. But you go, okay, you know, back then, imperialism was a thing. You want to take the land, you want to capture everything, you believe. This is rightfully yours, manifest destiny. God has said, all of America's yours, take it, right? So, even then, even then, it's not we're meeting them on the battlefield, it's we're distracting them on the battlefield while we go capture the women and children and hold them fucking hostage for the land. It's just fucked up all around. I agree. Well, some historians believe that Custer, who had been pissy when Reno had avoided a fight against the Lakota a week earlier, wanted to test the bravery of Reno. If so, that was just another decision in a long line of dumb things Cuckster did. I got him. I got him with the cuck. (laughs) I love hitting him him with the cuck. It took an hour, but there we are. Get him. Get him, Greg. Yes. Well, meanwhile, Frederick Benteen... Class A asshole uh-huh. was super bored and lonely on his southern flank, and so he, like everyone else in his army apparently, said, Fuck the orders, and began to ride toward the fight. Along the way, a troop reached him with a message from Custer, who had so frantically and rapidly spouted off a demand for Benteen to move up that the order had to be written down so the troop could understand what was being said. I'm out of here to move those troops, I've got to get Benteen. What? Mm, packs. Fuck it. What? Like, here, okay. Scribble down. Like, the packs thing? Packs. Well, he was like, come quick, bring packs or something. Oh, and he misspelled packs. Yeah. Custer. Yeah. And then PS. <laughs> yeah. Bring packs. Yeah. And it was only because of the PS that he even knew to bring the packs the- were needed. Yeah. And so I was like, wait, what are is packs like P A K S? Yeah. Bring paws, and he wouldn't be able to figure it out. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he he literally, he spoke so fast that even the scribe's like, what the fuck did he just say? He's like, okay, let me bring bring Paul? Are we supposed to bring Paul McCartney to this bring thing? Paul? Yeah. I did. I had to bring my grandpa? Brings Paul McCartney. He's like, he said bring Paul. Band on the run. No, send that motherfucker back. <laughs> right back. <laughs> no, he's on the run now, <laughs> Unfortunately for Custer, as Benteen moved toward the fight, the first person he came across was Marcus Reno, a.k.a. America's piece of shit, (laughs) who begged for help 
defending his position on the bluff that would later be known as Reno Hill. Benteen agreed because he believed that Custer had abandoned Reno, just as he believed that Custer had abandoned Joel Elliott back in 1868. Remember, Joel Elliott was the one that died charging into a Native American encampment. Right, and like we established, Benteen doesn't like anybody who's in charge. He's like, oh, well, Custer's nowhere to be found. Here's Reno, and he got fucking left high and dry, even though Reno was drunk as a fucking skunk and ran away as soon as the fight turned against him. Like, he's like, yeah. Hang out with this guy. This guy's cool. Look at him. I hate Benteen. I hate everyone. I hate hate Reno. Everyone. I hate Custer. (laughs) They're all awful. The only one I kind of like is General Terry, who's just not there. He shows up a day later. He's like, exactly. That's why. What happened? What the fuck did you guys do? (laughs) What did you do? (laughs) And we're both. They sh. They shit the fucking biggest king size bed in the fucking world. We are and both. And this dude had given them very direct orders, like, hey, do this. And he comes, and there's just hundreds of people slaughtered. <laughs> He's like, what the fuck, even? We're both middle managers. And so we catch. Oh, Terry. We catch it from both ends, right? We're kind of general Terry. We're, we're both middle managers in our actual jobs. No, I'm a boss. Well, you're still a middle manager. Don't lie to yourself. Just come on, man. I, I want to be a boss. <laughs> Even in my fake life on a podcast. <laughs> and you roll up and you're like, the fuck were you thinking? Like, how did this across your fucking mind? What? What is wrong with you as a human being that you would think this was a good idea? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, you didn't tell me I couldn't do it. And you're like, well, I guess that's that's on me, I guess, you fucking moron. You know, <laughs> that's how Terry felt when he rose up. <laughs> they sat around doing absolutely nothing productive for a while. Well, Reno polished off more whiskey. In fact, it's been reported that he drank 11 bottles over a two-day period. So, I guess that's being kind of productive in a way. 11 bottles. So my whole thing about this is, obviously, it's either embellished mm-hmm. or the whiskey, and it, it didn't, but didn't have the same necessary requirements that it does today. Right. The potency, yeah. Like, there's no way it's a minimum 80 proof, and he's polishing that off by himself. 11 no, bottles. No, if he's passing it around to uh, everyone, that's one thing, but... One of my thoughts was it was tiny bottles, like Old West, tiny... Like mini bar or you know the singles you can buy at the liquor store, like the little bitty. Did they have those in the old west? I don't. Yeah, they had little bitty Jack and Honey bottles that you could buy in the <laughs> Fireball. Yeah, <laughs> he just drinking. He drank eleven Fireballs. <laughs> yeah. Like oh, well, okay. Now he has no excuse. Yeah, but man, let's even if it was eleven of those little bitty bitch bottles. In a in a day and a half, when this battle starts and wraps up, that's a lot of fucking liquor. That's just a lot, man. You're the leader of a battalion attacking the Native Americans, trying to win a fucking battle, and you're just just sloshed. You are. I don't. I think eleven of the little shot bottles. I don't think that's such a big deal. That would fuck me up. Day and a half. Yeah, it'd fuck me up. Well, you're, yeah, you're a. You know, you're nope. lightweight. Okay, you were going to say something else. You're going to say something besides lightweight, but that's okay. We'll move on. 
little bitch. Thank you. Thank you for being honest with me and the listener. I don't know what I was going to say. I feel like it was lightweight. <laughs> okay. It felt like it was, it was a P word coming in there. <laughs> Pussy? <laughs> I don't think, I don't know. Well, eventually Captain Thomas Weir said, this is bullshit, and rode west to find the enemy. Benteen acted like it had been his idea all along and followed. And eventually even Reno relented and headed to a rocky hilltop, which would later be known as Weir Hill. All you gotta do to get a hill named after you is suck at fighting. You just get there first. Apparently. Yeah. A hill or a bluff or yeah. something. Too bad it's not known as David Koresh Hill. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> he fucking sucked at fighting. He sure did. They immediately came under fire from about 600 Lakota warriors. The position was impossible to defend, so they went right back to Reno Hill and once again sat on their asses until a sergeant named Taylor said, What the fuck are we doing? Maybe we should build up some barricades or trenches or some shit. You dumb, drunk fuck. Well, Reno looked him up and down, gave him a giant thumbs up and said, You got it, dude. The men began to build barricades out of supply boxes, saddles, and dead horses. Behind those, they used anything they could find like forks and plates to dig trenches and protective mounds. Well, everyone except for Benteen's company. He didn't think the Lakota would follow their retreat, so he decided that the simple task of building rudimentary defenses was a waste of his precious time. At about 2.30 a.m. on the 26th, the Lakota opened fire on the men on Reno Hill. At first, the men of the 7th thought they were seeing ghosts, because the men advancing on them were wearing cavalry uniforms and carrying the flag. They soon realized that the Lakota were wearing the uniforms of the dead cavalrymen. That is troll level 100, by the way. Oh, yeah. As daylight broke, the fire from the Lakota intensified and reached levels higher than the day before. The men in Frederick Benteen's company took the most casualties because of his decision not to build defenses. As they were injured and killed, he did what any good military leader would do. He laid down on the ground and took a goddamn nap. Now, earlier you said you hate Frederick Benteen, but why? Oh, <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. It's just the nuances of, <laughs> yeah. of battle and leadership. I guess. I feel like it's hindsight. Like, I feel like... There's not, there's not really something I can really <laughs> pin my, my, my hat to, you I feel, know? I feel like any good military leader would take a nap there. I, I feel like you're judging him based on hindsight, based on the outcome. You're like, oh, this guy fucked everything up. But, it, you know, George S. Patton, as soon as his tanks are advancing, are born the, the Wehrmacht, he's like, you know, be good right now? Siesta. Hmm. He just mm -hmm. lays down. Yeah. Well, you know, the guy hadn't slept well in a few nights, but he'd also been drinking every fucking night. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, during his little siesta, as Chris would like to call it, mm -hmm. the Lakota shot the heel off of his boot. They barely missed him and kicked up the dirt around his armpit on another shot. He slept through most of it, but eventually it woke him up, and he was so pissed that they wouldn't let him sleep that he decided to lead a charge into the Lakota warriors directly. You know what? I like to think of myself as a good father, but my kid comes in at 6.30 in the morning, and I'm like, fucking what? What do you want? 
I'm gonna throw you out the window. I just, I just want to watch, just watch Daniel Tiger. Ah! I'm, you know, demons shoot out of my fucking eyes. Her face melts like <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> what was effective? And the Lakota retreated from his side of the hill. On the other side, Reno was still under fire, but this allowed men to run down to the river to get water and to further fortify their position. By 4 p.m. on the 26th, the Lakota had left the hill completely. The men of the 7th stood on the hill and watched as the 8,000-man village packed up and left the valley. The battle was over. Shortly thereafter, General Terry arrived on the hill and gave Benteen and Reno some shocking news. George Custer and his entire battalion were dead. So what happened to Custer? No one knows for sure, because, like I just said, everyone who was fighting with his battalion died on June 25th. And, you know, before we go further into this, it's interesting, there was actually one man who nearly escaped, according to the descendants of the Lakota warriors. Like, it was a guy that somehow, even though they're completely surrounded, mounted a horse, broke through the lines, and got past everyone. Mm-hmm. There were four Lakota warriors who were chasing him on horseback when all of a sudden this dude pulled out his pistol and shot himself in the head. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that like, part. Like, yeah. right as they had stopped chasing him or whatever. Yeah, he's going to get away. Yeah. It was like he thought maybe they were about to get him or something. Yeah. He chose to do that, but it's just crazy how history has changed completely because... This dude could have got away and spilled Told the beans story, on yeah. everything exactly how it happened. So there weren't all these assumptions that we have to make. Now, while you mentioned that, I'm going to take it to a different direction to the side. Because we talked about earlier how Custer had rearranged the division by horse color. And we we had a, as they're marching, there's a, a private named Rudder whose horse is just going fucking apeshit bananas. And he has to ride circles around the entire march because this horse won't fucking calm down. Yeah, until it yeah, and then, wears itself out. Well, then he's in a Reno's attack, and the horse takes him into the village. And he's, like, riding in circles. He ends up escaping. He ends up living because this horse has just fucking lost its fucking mind for two fucking days. And he's just, like, riding in circles. Around the whole, I got this, guys. I'll see you next time. I'll see you around. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> right. Comes back around. And it's just, yeah. But it's just these weird things that happen in battle, and and we like to think we look back in history, look to think of as, as battles as these organized things. You know, you have like the Revolutionary War. They line up and they fight each other. They line up in these formations and they fight and all that. You like to think it's organized, but it's just fucking chaos. It's just insane like this one guy could have got away but he decided oh shit they're gonna catch me and blows his fucking head off right there yeah even though they had almost at that exact moment given up the chase right so and and what you're saying kind of gets into what i'm about to say and that's like when benteen made it to the battlefield where custer died he noted that there didn't appear to be any order to the fight at all right yeah. You know, because instead of having these fronts where you have like, okay, there was obviously a front here, here, and here, because the way they were facing, the way they, they died, he said, Benteen did, that you could have taken corn and scattered it on the floor. 
to make battle lines like the ones he saw around that battlefield. Yeah. You know, it was just chaos. So random and chaotic yeah. that it was just, you know, there was there was nothing to it. It was complete disarray. Still, there's one plausible theory that has arisen out of physical evidence found in stories told by Lakota descendants. And that theory is the first thing Custer did was once again split up his men, small batch. He and a small detachment rode to the Little Bighorn to try and find a small place to cross into the village and take all the women and children hostage, like we mentioned earlier. Meanwhile, the rest of his men waited on the bluffs above. This theory also states that when Custer reached the river, he came under fire and retreated downriver to wait for the arrival of Frederick Benteen's battalion, who he had sent for earlier. Oh, who would never make it there. Right. And that is when everything went to shit for George Custer, theoretically. The men were outnumbered 20 to 1. The first to fall was Company C, led by Captain Miles Keogh and Lieutenant James Calhoun. They were surrounded and their horses were stolen. Then one by one they were gunned down on a bluff that would become known as Calhoun Hill. A few tried to flee into a nearby ravine, but were run down. It was complete chaos and confusion. Lakota warriors would later say that some of the cavalry looked bewildered and didn't fight at all. Some attempted to surrender, but were killed on the spot. Custer and his men attempted to launch a charge toward the river, but met heavy resistance at a spot now known as Last Stand Hill. Why? Why did he call it that? I don't know, Chris. I don't know. (laughs) He released his horses, hoping to cause a distraction, but it didn't work. Custer's battalion was wiped out completely on this hill. As for Custer himself, he was shot in the chest and then shot at point-blank range in the left temple. It's unclear if he shot himself in the head, if he was put out of his misery by a member of the cavalry, or if he was shot by a Lakota. Either way... It is said that when he was found, he had a smile on his face. Oh, and the Lakota had pierced his eardrums with an awl to teach him to listen, and had jammed an arrow into his penis to teach him... Mm, something. Well, I know why he died with a smile on his face. Well, I, to be fair, he was raping fucking Indians. Maybe that's why. <laughs> well, I was just thinking, just thinking of a few episodes ago where we were talking about jamming shit up your urethra oh, we said i don't want i don't want to talk about that and we're like oh somewhere out there there's some guys like oh yes hello mm-hmm. just <laughs> jacking was, it on his <laughs> dashboard <laughs> that was custer <laughs> the battle of the little bighorn had been a massive defeat for the united states 268 members of the seventh cavalry were killed unfortunately for the lakota the feeling of victory was short-lived Custer became a romantic hero to the Americans, and his death increased calls for military action against the Lakota Sioux. Sitting Bull would be forced to flee to Canada in 1877. He returned a few years later in 1881 and found that he too had become something of a celebrity. He joined the Buffalo Bill Wild West Show and traveled the country where he made a good amount of money selling photographs and autographs. And fun fact, they wanted him to come back in 1893 in Chicago, which was where H.H. Holmes was. World's Fair, baby. He declined that option, but they still had a Lakota Village exhibit in in that show. That is a fun fact. Yay! I'm having so much fun. (laughs) Well, eventually, 
Sitting Bull's money ran out and he moved to a reservation. In 1890, he was shot and killed by fellow members of his Lakota tribe who were jealous and believed he was going to disrupt life for them on the reservation. In the end, the Battle of the Little Bighorn is known as Custer's Last Stand. In reality, it was also the last stand of the Lakota and of Native Americans as a whole. Sure, the destruction of an entire people, their sacred lands, and the buffalo is depressing. But if you're feeling down, just take a cue from the hero of this story, Marcus Reno, and down an entire bottle of whiskey. Or eight. End of story. Woo! Ah, did it again! I didn't think we were going to do it. And then Man, it just you know, halfway through I thought we're, we're both no. dead in the water. Yeah. Ha! Look at us now! I was like... Uh, or we gotta come back from break? No, there's no way. It's no, dude. The end of the podcast. King of the world. Imagine Titanic. Uh huh. You know, you got Rose and uh, Leo, whatever his name is, on the front of the ship. King Jack. Of the world. It's, it's a hard name to remember. Yes, Jack. Well, <laughs> Rose and imagine Jack. both of us uh-huh. up there. We're both mm-hmm. Jack. Yeah. Oh, jacking it. And we're both you and I. Like, I'm I'm doing King of the World, you're behind me hugging me, you're also doing King of the World. That's mm-hmm. what we just did. We you're did. fucking welcome, America, well, who, and the rest who, of the entire world. Whose hand pops up on the steamy 1912 car window in the cargo It's hold? yours as uh-huh. it starts to go down, and then mine clutches it. That's good. From behind. That's good. Yeah. That's a team effort. I like uh-huh. it. <laughs> yeah. That's storytelling right there. You're welcome. <laughs> Well, they didn't think we could do it, but we did it. And here we are, Greg. Fucking did it again. With Montana Territory's favorite segment, surprises slash misconceptions you might have had about this story. Gregory, what you got? My biggest surprise in this is at least the way that I grew up knowing what little I did about this battle was there were a bunch of heroes involved in this. Custer Mm -hmm. was a... He was a damned hero, and he got his own surprises and misconceptions. <laughs> right. But a lot of them were his fault. Yes. Thought he was invincible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this would never happen to him. He was, he was going to repeat the same, you know, bravery and heroicism that he showed in, what was it, 1868? Yeah. And or even the Civil War. Yeah, yeah. Right. And that was just going to happen again. He got lucky in 1868, so I I don't know. I felt like maybe he developed a god complex, but, I mean, even Custer aside, who is just lauded as this massive hero of this losing battle, Mm -hmm. he got completely slaughtered. Every other commanding officer, I feel like, in this is complicit. I feel like they're all shit heels in one way or another. Yes. I feel like there's a lot of narcissism. Mm Mm-hmm. Drunken buffoonery and absenteeism. So that that was my biggest misconception about this is, you know, it's not the whitewashed version of history that a lot of us are taught. I feel like we're on the same page. I feel like my misconceptions were the same. Mm-hmm. Like you think about the military, you think you're, you think about regimentation. Um, you think about their orders. You have to follow orders. You have to do this X, Y, or Z. This was happen. And they were all out for their own glory. And like you said, it's a lot about narcissism. It's, it's, 
I'm going to be the hero. So, like, Custer's watching Reno get his ass kicked. He's like, ah, look at that fucker. Well, watch maybe. Me save it. Yeah, maybe. We don't actually know what he did. Presumably, though, yeah. yes. Well, even then, like, you know, Benteen's like, watch Custer fuck this shit up. Yeah, they're all, like, waiting for the other one to fuck up because they think somebody else is coming in their rear. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Uh, Ayo. Sorry uh, for those words. <laughs> no, but I, I think you're I think you're 100% right there. Whereas, if you had some sort of military leadership in this battle, I think it goes, like, the complete opposite way. I think they take the position... Uh, sitting bull and all of his warriors end up retreating, falling back, end up on the reservation. But because they were so just self-aggrandizing and they all wanted the glory for themselves, that it just fell apart. But right. somehow, maybe if maybe if General Terry had been there, yeah, he would have been able to keep these ragtag bunch together. Even our our main source says that General Terry didn't really want to be a battlefield commander. He just kind of like just like throw right, but these maybe guys if he out was there. There, there would have been this hub, right, to where there were decisions being made, right. to where it wasn't like, "Hey, man, come on up, yeah, come on up, Benteen, bring the packs." And he's like, eh, "I don't really like him, so I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna slow play it, right?" You know. And then when Reno comes along to Benteen, he's like. Yeah, I guess I'll help him. Even though the commander of this battlefield said mm-hmm. to to come to him, he's just keep coming forward. Yeah, it's it's very strange. It is very strange, and especially our main source points out that uh, during the Civil War is kind of similar. It was your orders were orders, but if you disobeyed them and you succeeded, no one really gave a shit. And so they took that mindset into this battle. We're like, well. I'll do whatever the fuck I want, and if it works out, I'm the hero. And so I, I feel like you're right. I feel like that that narcissism that that I'm going to be the fucking great one that history remembers plays a whole role in this, and in a, just this culmination of just uh, just butt fuckery that causes <laughs> a failure of you know. I like it. It just causes a complete failure, and uh, Sitting Bull ends up winning this battle just by being there. And that's a lesson to you all, listeners. Just fall in line. Don't do yep. anything to be special. Subscribe to our Patreon. Yes, fall in that line. <laughs> all right, Greg, take us home. As Chris said, check out our Patreon, 100proofhistory.com. You can get our old episodes that aren't available to the general asses anymore. Mm-hmm. I said asses instead of masses. Get it, folk? Yeah, yeehaw. But you can get our Hangover episodes released every Monday. You also get your favorite weekly releases a couple days early. Mm -hmm. No big deal. Very soon, we have a very cool thing we're about to give away. I'm so excited. I think maybe this is is Ep 48, maybe Ep 50. We hit 50 episodes, we're going to give away this very cool thing. So I'm, I'm very excited. Stay tuned for that. Sex with the main host, Lucky. Oh, look at you. Neil <laughs> won. All right, Neil, come on down. <laughs> Thanks for dropping in, as always. We just appreciate you guys listening. This is a labor of love. 
Mm-hmm. It's like uh, labor that my mom went through to have me was more a labor of necessity. Right. Abortion was outlawed then. <laughs> Here I am bringing this to you. <laughs> Love you guys. See you next time. <laughs> Bye. That guy has dynamite abs. Look at those abs. Can I move my mouse over there? Screen share and just draw my dick on top of his abs. Can we do that? Is that how Zoom works? No? Okay, never mind. It's probably the worst joke to date on this podcast. <laughs> you have a child. You see what happens to you. I want you to <laughs> I want you to mute your mic and slap yourself until I'm done talking. <laughs> just just repeatedly. Oh my god, we got like a page and a half. <laughs> well, Greg, he was drunk as a skunk on spring break in Scabo. Scab, God, fuck it. Scarborough Fair. <laughs> oh. The great Simon Garfunkel. Paul Simon. Paul Simon. No, no Garfunkel. Art Garfunkel can go fucking kill himself. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. <laughs> <laughs>